Thank you for tuning in to the Practical Preservation Podcast. Please take a moment to visit our website, practicalpreservationservices.com, for additional information and tips to help you restore your historical home. If you've not done so, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and also like us on Facebook. Welcome to the Practical Preservation Podcast, hosted by Danielle and Jonathan Kepperling. Kepperling Preservation Services is a family-owned business based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, dedicated to the preservation of our built architectural history for today's use as well as future generations. Our weekly podcast provides you with expert advice specific to the unique needs of renovating a historic home, educating by sharing our from-the-trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise, balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home. Today on the Practical Preservation Podcast, we have um, Tim, is it Freund? So technically it's Freund, my family Americanized it to friend. Friend, okay. Okay, and um, from the Lancaster Cemetery with us. um, So tell me a little bit about your background. Sure. So I am a total amateur when it comes to cemetery stuff. Like the reason I got involved here is because I live at the end of this block. (laughs) So like, you know, what's good for the cemetery is good for the neighborhood and what's good for the neighborhood is good for my house. Okay. Um, I often joke that... uh, when we moved in here, like I got the smell of fresh cut grass without actually having to cut the grass. <laughs> and now ha- I have like ended up in this situation where I'm the one cutting a lot of the grass. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, we, we definitely like it, it's a team effort. So there's a board of seven people on okay. the, the cemetery board. Uh, one of those people is actually a second generation board member. Uh, Jerry Smoker is our board president. And his father uh, was also board president uh, before he passed. Uh, Jerry grew up in this house. This was like the, the full-time caretaker's house. Uh, and he lived here uh, up through um, the mid-60s or so. Okay. Um, no, but uh, otherwise, I'm just a, an interested citizen who happens to like live across the street. Okay. Uh, I'm also involved with Neighbors United here in the northeast mm-hmm. corner of, of Lancaster City. Um, mostly just want to see this 22 acres of green space you know, put to good use. That makes sense to me. So that's how you kind of you kind of just stumbled into this. Right. <laughs> so it wasn't it wasn't like you had a lifelong passion to to work with the cemetery. <laughs> I mean, so when we were shopping for houses, yes. it's like that'd be cool to have a house across the street. But yeah. no, it was not like it's not in my blood or anything. <laughs> um, and then in terms of like other people involved, yes. uh, so everybody on the board is just an interested Lancastrian that mm-hmm. you know happens to have stumbled into volunteering here um we have a couple of conservators that we consult with Mm -hmm. Uh, they run workshops for us in terms of how to do proper cemetery conservation uh and then we have a groundskeeper uh on staff uh part-time as well um so he's the one that does the bulk of the the grounds maintenance here Mm -hmm. uh and then volunteers you know basically fill in the gaps for what what he can't do yeah very very and i think it's great that it's kind of like a volunteer community kind of grassroots kind of take care of this this property um so tell me about the history of of the lancaster cemetery sure um so i'm gonna like cheat and and look at my notes just so that i get (laughs) just so that i get the year right but uh yeah 1845 um it was the the first reformed church here in lancaster uh basically bought the first 11 acres of this site uh for use as a cemetery um and 
what happened was they wanted to expand their church building uh, and they're kind of running out of space in their churchyard graveyard right. and they needed more room. Um, a few years later, a lot of the other churches in the area basically had the same idea. They right. either wanted to expand or they just didn't have room to put people yeah. anymore. Uh, and so they came to the first reformed church and basically asked, Hey, you know, um, would it be cool if like we went in on, on this with you? Right. Um, the first reformed church got their money back and the Lancaster cemetery was formed as uh, an independent entity. Like a separate yeah, entity. Um, you will see like, uh, as you walk through the grounds, mm -hmm. there are definitely like sections where it's like, Oh yeah, this is, this is the St. James section. And this oh, is yeah. the, you know, yeah. but, um, there's never beyond those first few years, it's never been like officially you know, affiliated with any specific church. Yeah. And did, I, I'm just kind of curious now, so like did each church buy like a certain like acreage or was it just the whole, the whole cemetery? So as lots were purchased, mm -hmm. I, I get the impression that there might've been some bulk purchases in the beginning right. where, yeah. uh, especially in the case where, uh, they wanted to expand a churchyard. It's like, yeah. look, we have this many interments we need to move. Right. Let's, let's buy this plus some extra for other family members that yeah. might want to come along. Um, but otherwise, you know, you'll see the same family names throughout the entire cemetery. Yeah, okay. So there, there definitely came a point when it was more, you know, a, a patriarch of a family was buying for his extended family more than anything else. Right, right. That makes sense to me. So, um, and actually, as I, I prepped for this yesterday and then on Facebook last night, I saw somebody posted a picture of like a Victorian um, picnic in a, in a cemetery. So yeah. I, but so that, that leads us into my next question. Tell me about the societal role of cemeteries in previous generations. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this is, uh, we, we wouldn't think of this as the suburbs now. Right. Like if you're a Lancaster native, this is in the middle of Lancaster right. city effectively. Um, but this is a sub suburban cemetery mm -hmm. in, in like the official nomenclature. Um, and the two roles were again, to make room, uh, on church grounds and in, in certain, city churches. Right. And then also they were like the de facto parks of the time. Um, so you said that you saw people picnicking. Yes. Um, there wasn't like such a thing. Perpetual care wasn't the default mode of buying a cemetery lot back in the day. Uh, when, when you would buy a family lot, you actually would come out here and take care of the family lot. You so, didn't assume somebody else was going to. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, like you'd be bringing some sort of like mowing equipment and right. actually trimming the grass yourself. And then while you're out here, you'd have a picnic. Uh, and all of your other friends from the neighborhood would likely be doing the same thing because they also had relatives here. Right. Um, now, of course, over time, uh, we've switched to a perpetual care model. And so, you know, uh, families don't come out to tend to their own mm -hmm. Uh, lots anymore. So right. we've kind of lost that a little bit, but you know, we'll talk more about that. I think further on in the yes, interview. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so there, I, there, then that, that perpetual care makes sense to me. And I remember, um, years ago, I, we had Thanksgiving in Omaha with my grandmother and we went to the cemetery because she wanted to take us to the cemetery. And she was like, mm -hmm. they paid for perpetual care. So that must've been something that they had started like in the mid 20th century, because she was very upset that however it was, it was not how she thought it should be. <laughs> I mean, it's rare enough that, um, there along our first circle, if you go off to, to the right a little bit, there is a, a very large grave that at the base of it, there is a piece of marble that says perpetual care. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it was rare enough that they, they placed they a stone had to there. Let somebody know. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> that's, that's really funny. 
Um, so what are the challenges for, for old cemeteries? Um, you know, where I, you, I, you are still burying people here. I did yeah. see that on the website, but, yep. but you, most of the, most of the burials are from what a hundred years ago at least. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, it definitely tapered off, uh, mid 1900s, okay. I, I would say, but, um, last year was a very busy year for us and we, we buried seven people. Okay. Uh, most of those are cremation nowadays, but yeah. we do still do traditional burials as well. Um, so yeah, like, I would split our challenge into like two two kind of segments, like money, obviously, right. um, because so many of our burials. So we have about sixteen thousand people here, spread across twenty two hundred lots or so. Um, because most of our burials were in a time before petrol care existed, mm-hmm. um, we would have families that would leave us, you know, small sums of money, you know, through the years that all got collected up into a trust. But right. uh, we are under endowed for the size of land that we have here. Uh, I mentioned that the original purchase was twenty two acres or was eleven acres. We now have twenty two acres. Um, and then St. Mary's Cemetery is across the right. fence. So we're approximately 30 acres uh, in total of cemetery space. 22 of that is, is ours. Um, and if I were to like give a, a ballpark estimate, I would love to see our endowment about 2x what it is yeah. to really maintain the place as well as we would like. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why we do so much with volunteers. Right. Um, and that's... Uh, that's why some of the things look a little bit rough in the middle of the summer because there's, you know, one guy that we pay and two, two yeah. volunteers that <laughs> we really try to keep up, but man, it, it can be tough at times. <laughs> um, and then the other thing is to kind of get back to that idea of, uh, a gathering place, you know, right. so why do I like this place? It's 22 acres of green space in the middle of the city. Right. Uh, when I'm in the middle of this, uh, property, like, Yes, I can still hear, hear certain city noises, but like mm-hmm. it really is a nice relief from like the, the street noise. Right. And I would love to figure out like how do we make this uh, kind of a, I guess for lack of a better term a proactive gathering space uh, in the city so that people are really making good use of this while still being respectful of the fact that it is a cemetery. Like right. our primary purpose is to be a resting place. Right. So um, like we probably wouldn't invite the circus to come in, but. <laughs> Uh, but there are a lot of things that we could be doing to yes. bring people into this place to enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think that that I think that a lot of your program, which we'll talk about a little bit later, is does help to do that. And yeah. I, I did see um, I did see you were you were offering the space for trick or treating, which I thought was fun. I, I hope that works out. We've only had one person complain so far, but okay. uh, there's always going to be <laughs> well, yeah, somebody complaining about something. I think a something. couple a couple podcasts ago, I said I think you can only you can you can make 95 percent of the people happy, and then I and then I admitted that I made that number up. <laughs> you know, without without naming names, I will say that this person was upset with us because we didn't do anything for Halloween last year too. Oh, so goodness. so again, some people just are wired they, they to just, be upset. They just want to be complainers. Yes. <laughs> so. Um, well, I saw that last year you did do the Twilight Tour, and I think that I took a tour in the cemetery several years ago. We did Victorian tours, too. Yeah, like yeah, if, So yeah. if it's during the daytime, yeah. that's probably when you're out here. Yeah, um, that highlighted some of your permanent residents and the historic symbolism of the Victorian um, gravestones. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? I know sure. you're not doing that this year, but I, I think it's an interesting interesting topic. Yeah, that's the Twilight Tour was yeah. our biggest successful event in a very long time, okay. and oh, we really wanted to do it this year, but... We also wanted to have it be feel more like a fall festival this year. Right. Uh, and then COVID happened, and right. we don't want people doing fall festival-type activities right. here. Yeah. Um, so it'll be back next year. Don't worry. Uh, lots of games, lots of food. Oh, it'll it'll be a fun. good time. Yeah. 
Um, but no, you're right. Like, uh, part of a big part of the Twilight tour was a tour of the grounds. Um, there's a lot of symbolism, like in Victorian um, monuments. Uh, and we also then showed some people who are kind of famous uh, in, mm-hmm. in this part of the woods as well. For anybody who's like walking through a Victorian cemetery without like uh, getting into specific burials, like if right. just any Victorian cemetery, uh, one of the fun things to look for is um, pillars that are broken. Um, not pillars that are like that have like fallen down over time, that but, are, but that did break. <laughs> yes, look for pillars that are naturally carved to you know appear yes. broken, um, because there's usually a story there. Uh, that's usually somebody who uh, their life was cut short. Um, also on on women's graves in particular, if you find a, a rose where the stem is broken, uh, that's another sign that like there's some tragedy in that life. Um, lots of historic uh, religious symbolism as well. Um, you know, lots of in, in his spirits and oh, yeah. uh, the hand pointing up. Um, and the Victorians really did believe uh, that death is a temporary thing that is really just just sleep. Yeah. Uh, you'll see a lot of like cradle graves that are designed mm-hmm. to look like beds. You'll see uh, carvings of, of babies that are asleep. Yeah. Um, they really didn't see this as, as a permanent resting ground. Uh, they really were spiritually in a place where I'm just hanging out here for a little bit. Yeah. And, and it was, I think that we've really removed ourselves from death and funerals and those things just in general in our lives. Like before you had, you had the funeral in your house Yes, and you know, you had the viewing where people could walk by and see. Yes. And you know, we've worked in houses with coffin doors where, you know, the bottom of the window opens. Oh, do you have Uh, this this window (laughs) right over here? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And we've really removed that from our lives. We, other people handle that now. (laughs) And so I think that, that that's a much healthier, probably relationship with death though, to, to, to realize that, you know, everything is temporary. Yeah. That's, um, and, and you see it too in just like the age ranges of the barrels that we have out here. Uh, there's one that like always, uh, I always have pause because it's this six sided headstone mm-hmm. uh, that a family had purchased, and every side of that headstone uh, has a child's name oh, on it. Yeah, uh, all of them were under the age of twelve. Uh, you know, like we take for granted the fact that it's like, oh yeah, death is something you do at right. the end of a very long life. Right. Yeah. But uh, they were much more. It was, it was a regular yeah. occurrence, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, they didn't have immunization. They didn't have all, <laughs> yes. all the things that we have <laughs> uh, to, 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 to take us through childhood. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, is it too political to say anti-vaxxers should maybe, like, check out some Victorian cemeteries? Um, and uh, Not for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and, and I, I, I had, um, when I was in first grade, I had scarlet fever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was something that used to kill people. Yeah. And they gave me a shot of penicillin. I was better in two days. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Uh, and even, you know, think about polio. Like yeah. some of us, uh, people listening to this have relatives who oh, yeah. might still be, you know, survivors of polio. Right. Uh, and that used to be a killer. It did. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, the yeah. Victorians were definitely like, they, they were very comfortable with death because yes, it was yeah. around them. Yeah. All sadly. the time. Yes. So, um, oh, we didn't talk a little oh, bit we didn't about, talk about the famous residents. people. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Tell me, tell me about some of those people. So our number one, most famous person that everybody comes to see is, uh, general John Reynolds. Of course mm-hmm. he, he died in the first day of the battles of Gettysburg. Um, if somebody is coming to Lancaster cemetery and wants to visit 
General Reynolds. Uh, you'll come in the main entrance gate. Uh, you'll see a circle drive. He is on the left side of the circle drive as you're driving in. Uh, very tall obelisk. He's very hard to miss. Okay. Um, and uh, his brother William is right next to him. Uh, William was an admiral in the Navy, okay. if I remember right. Behind them, we have a Surgeon General um, uh, who is also, of course, in the Navy. Uh, and then another famous Lancastrian is Charles DeMuth, uh, the artist. Mm, yes. um, if you go down to our second circle, you'll, he'll be off to the left of that second circle as well. Um, Relevant to both uh, Lancaster Cemetery and also the F&M community, uh, there's a gentleman by the name of George Kinzo Kaneko. Uh, he is a, a Japanese citizen who was at F&M College, was beloved by the college, uh, and passed away while he was here. Um, the country of Japan was so impressed with how Lancaster you know, treated George that they actually gifted the city um, six ginkgo trees. Uh, three of which were planted here and three of which were planted on F&M's campus. Uh, F&M did not appreciate uh, the smelliness of the, the ginkgo <laughs> trees, and so they were, they were transplanted here. Oh, so funny. all of them are here, and one of them is uh, the champion ginkgo of the state um, down at the, the very edge of the property. Um, so when you see those bright yellow leaves mm -hmm. in, the, uh, in the fall time, oh, yes. that is basically, th those are gifts from... Uh, the country of Japan for how we treated George. Oh, that's that's really interesting. And then, like, probably our most famous resident, um, aside from General Reynolds, is Augusta Bittner. So uh, not necessarily for what she did in life, but because she was so beloved by her family that in death they had a statue of her carved. Uh, so if you ever see uh, the statue of the woman walking down the stairs uh, at Lancaster Cemetery, that, that is Augusta Bittner. Okay. Um, probably one of our most visited sites, uh, did not die falling down the stairs on her wedding day. <laughs> she actually died of tuberculosis. Oh. Um, but yeah, her, her parents were heartbroken and her father actually sold several properties to be able to, to carve that, to carve her. that oh. monument. Yeah. Very, very interesting. And I see a lot of just flipping through this and, and will, um, is, uh, do you have this available if people come to the, yes. the um, to do tours? Mm -hmm. Um, Flipping through this uh, tour, tour guide, walking tour guide, um, I see a lot of Lancaster names. <laughs> yes. So it is definitely Lancaster Cemetery. <laughs> yes. Somebody asked, uh, they're, they're like, oh, is that the, at the Hartman lot? And it's like, which Hartman lot? Right. Like, there's about four of them, you know? Yes. Um, uh, the Longs as well. I mean, yeah, like Longs yeah. Park, uh, they are they are here with us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very, very good. Um is there anything that you wanted to share that I didn't think to ask or that you thought of while we were talking? Um, sure. So, like, you know, uh, you specifically uh, are into conservation and preservation yes. of buildings. Mm -hmm. um, so we can talk a little bit about the conservation and preservation well, of, sure. of the monuments. I would, I, I'm curious about that. Uh, so a lot of people come out to an old cemetery and they're like, oh, wow, like, like, you know, these marble monuments like really look dingy. Like, should we clean them? Mm -hmm. Um, and we say no, uh, because there's actually like a bit of a patina that forms right. and like that patina helps like those monuments stay, uh, over the long haul, all of the marble in this cemetery will eventually wash away to nothing, right. but we'd like to keep it for as long as we can. Yeah. Uh, families are technically responsible for the monuments on their lots, but of course, a lot of these families just aren't around right, anymore. Right. Uh, so what we do what we can, when we can to ensure like the, the integrity of the monuments. Um, 
Sometimes you'll see monuments that are on the ground. Frankly, like if you can't do a proper restoration, it's safer to, to have a monument on the ground uh, than it is to have it like pr- kind it of prepared, yeah. precariously pro- yeah. propped up. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Um, that is why you have seen people move to granite headstones. Like granite doesn't wear the way that marble does. Marble softer, yeah. That, and um, that makes sense from a building materials standpoint. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I mentioned that we work with a couple of uh, conservators. Uh, they do workshops here twice a year with us. Um, only one this year, again, because of COVID, but typically two. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have taught us, like, as amateurs, like, there's a number of stones that, like, we can set up ourselves. Right. So if it's, a, if it's a very simple tablet... Um, with a, a, just a few tools, like we can get that upright and it'll be upright for another, you know, 50 to a hundred years. Right. Uh, and then when we have special projects, like they, they use our, those workshop times to, to like to do those, those special projects. Do, for is us. it mostly, um, weather and things like that? Or do you deal with a lot of vandalism? There is vandalism, okay. but overall, it's mostly just, just you know, hundreds weather. of years yeah. of, of frost cycles. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and you can you can tell the vandalism pretty quickly. <laughs> um, but you know, we also have things like trees that fall over. Right. Uh, so we did a very large monument restoration, uh, Colonel Nauman. Um, back in 2012, we had a giant ash tree fall over, uh, during a storm and, uh, you can just see like the path of destruction that that tree right. left. Yeah. Um, and Colonel Nauman's was a, a very large monument that like we wanted to get back upright. So, uh, Robert and Rob, uh, Robert Moscow and, and Rob Meyer are the conservators mm-hmm. that we work with. Um, spent about three days getting that set back up for us. Yeah. Well, and that's great that you have them as a resource, and then they can come and train people, too. Yes. Um, yeah, when, when they yeah. do workshops, like, yeah. we invite uh, people from, you know, we've had people from all over the country. We get mm-hmm. a lot of people, of course, from the East Coast. Right. Uh, as far away as Ohio and New York. Uh, we were supposed to have some folks from California uh, back in March, but then COVID happened. Right. So they canceled their trip. But, uh, yeah, they're very fun workshops. Uh, and even, you know, if we have Lancastrians or other Pennsylvanians who are interested, um, even as amateurs, like, please come out to those workshops. Right. They're, they're a lot of fun. Yeah. And, um, so do you like, I guess the caretaker probably regularly or the groundskeeper regularly like walks through and, and just kind of surveys if anything seems out of place. Is that how you kind of monitor and maintain? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like it's a, basically it's important to do a walkthrough. And of yeah. course he's walking through with the mower all right, the time. Right. Uh, but like it's, a, I walk through with my camera. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I'm a software developer by trade. And part of what I've looked at in terms of this cemetery is, um, over the long haul, all of these monuments will eventually like wear away right. to where, where they're unreadable. So it's important for me to like catalog the data that's on those right. headstones yeah. so that people can do that research far yeah. into the future and, and, and um, uh, digitize it. And I was th- so then, do you upload it to like a site like the grave site or I've, what is that? So grave? there's find a yeah. grave. Yeah, find a grave. Yeah, um, which uh, yeah, like. We we have one volunteer that does a ton of work specifically with Find a Grave. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get it into our own database okay. as well. That yep. way, like uh, we can be- kind of like maintain uh, basically perpetual care of that data. Uh, the way I'm kind of looking at it is like I'm trying to build a software system that like we can keep our stuff in, but then we can also uh, open it up and have other cemeteries put their yes. stuff in there, yeah. so that like 
this concept of perpetual care is extended to the actual like genealogical data as well. Yeah, that makes sense. And I did see on, on, on your website, and I didn't think to ask you that, um, about that you do take requests if somebody is doing their genealogical yep. research, you do. Um, but, and then there were some, um, time periods where maybe there's not a lot of information, like, especially like during the, the, the Spanish flu. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, uh, there was a time when, uh, they were so comfortable with death that they would open the graves themselves. And so maybe like the, the record book didn't get updated right. because, yeah. uh, originally lots were, were purchased like per family. Yeah. Um, so you'd have four to six burials in one lot. And so there wasn't a, like a paperwork transaction for every specific burial that happened. Right. And that makes, yeah, that makes sense. If, if you feel like this is your land, you can do what you want. <laughs> yeah, and like, we have no restrictions on yeah. what you do on your, your lot. Uh, it's just that nowadays we do sell it, you know, one grave at a time. Right. So there yeah. is like, there is a bit more of a transactional nature anytime somebody yeah. needs to be placed here. Yeah. That, that, that definitely makes sense. Um, was there anything else that you thought of while we were talking? Um, don't be afraid to walk through cemeteries and don't be, don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, yeah, I think that's, you know, we are going to have, uh, we're going to be having a scavenger hunt here this weekend. Of course the bo- podcast will already, uh, the scavenger hunt will happen before yes, the podcast yes, yes. gets out. But, um, yeah, we're basically, uh, it should be a little bit of fun. Like people will have certain things they'll be looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, is it like, um, like, monuments and things like that, that they're going to be. Yeah. Uh, different types of monuments, uh, people, you know, the different ages of people. Uh, and you know, it's fall, like take a, take a selfie with your favorite, you know, fall foliage. And like that counts for scavenger hunt points as well. Um, no, in short, like just know that, uh, uh, an old cemetery like this, if, if you have one in your neighborhood, like they're probably looking for help. And so if you're interested, whether it's because you're a gardener or you're a historian or uh, any number of things, like they're right. probably looking for that sort of skill set. So yeah. just, you know, make yourself known. Okay, very good. Well, and how can someone um, support the cemetery? Are there any upcoming events that you'd like to promote? Are you doing your wreath sale this year? We are doing the okay. wreath sale this year. So we're going to be handing out info about that at uh, Halloween Trick or Treating as well. Um, if you are a Lancastrian, stop by for, for treats. Uh, we'll have candy on, what is it, the... I guess they're doing it on the 30th this year, Yes, right? they are. Yeah. As a non-native uh, Lancastrian, I've never understood why it's not just on the 30th. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. <laughs> uh, so that's that. Uh, we will be here for that, and then we'll be selling wreaths. Uh, um, get your order in by November 20th. Okay. Uh, you can contact us at LancasterCemetery.org. Uh, we also have a Facebook page and an Instagram page. Uh, the email goes straight to me, so if you're happy about something I said or upset about something I said, uh, info at LancasterCemetery.org ends up going straight into my inbox. Okay. Very good. Um, well, thank you so much for, for inviting me in and, and, um, telling me a little bit more about the, the cemetery. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. This was good. Thanks for listening to the Practical Preservation Podcast. The resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices.com forward slash podcast. If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast. For more information on restoring your historic home, visit practicalpreservationservices.com.